providing you with health information and guests to elevate your health and life and help make your life better in 30 minutes or less. This is the Frontline Health Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Frontline Health by CenturionLabs.com. Today, we're highlighting National Spina Bifida Awareness Month. We'll be discussing its history, what spina bifida is, how to prevent it, how to treat it, and what the next steps are in the ongoing battle to better address spina bifida. Did you know that spinal defects have existed since the beginnings of mankind? Anthropologists have actually uncovered depictions of people with malformed spinal cords in statues and artifacts from ancient civilizations. The first documented description of a spina bifida case came in 1653, thanks to Nicholas Toop, a Greek physician. Toop uh, proposed the term and described it as a vertebral anomaly. Spina bifida continued to puzzle surgeons from the early 1600s to the mid-1800s. They tried various techniques, but nothing seemed to benefit these patients. It wasn't until the mid-19th century that Dr. James Morton's technique using an iodine and glycerin solution proved successful. And in 1973, the Spina Bifida Association of of America was formed in Chicago, primarily as an information source for its chapters and members. Over time, it played a crucial role in improving treatments and diagnostics, ultimately leading to the declaration of October as the official Spina Bifida Awareness Month. In the 21st century, events and fundraisers have increased awareness in the ongoing battle to better treat this devastating disease. And some of you may be saying to yourselves, I'm glad to know it's Spina Bifida Awareness Month, but what is Spina Bifida exactly? Well, Spina Bifida occurs early in pregnancy, and it happens before many people even realize that they're pregnant. During the third and fourth weeks of pregnancy, when a portion of the fetal spinal cord fails to properly close. As a result, the child is born with a part of the spinal cord exposed on their back. Spina bifida is the most common permanently disabling birth defect. In the United States, they estimate roughly 18 cases of myelomeningocele, which is a specific form of spina bifida, per 100,000 live births, were estimated in 2005. However, the Spina Bifida Association conservatively estimates that there are 70,000 people living in, in the United States with the condition currently. The prevalence appears to have decreased in recent years due in part to preventative measures followed by expectant mothers. And while genetic and environmental factors may interact to cause spina bifida, it's important to highlight that 95% of babies with spina bifida are born to parents with no family history. Women with certain chronic health problems, including diabetes and seizure disorders, treated with specific anticonvulsant medications, have shown an increased risk of having babies with spina bifida. 
The symptoms of spina bifida vary depending on the location and extent of the spinal cord and overlying structures that have not developed correctly. There are basically three common subtypes. You've got the occulta, the meningocele, and the myelomeningocele forms of spina bifida. The occulta is also called the hidden spina bifida because most people don't even know they have it until they go in and discover it on an unrelated x-ray. Meningocele, on the other hand, is a type that occurs when the bones don't close around the spinal cord in the meninges, which is what helps protect the spinal cord, and it's pushed out through the opening, forming a fluid-filled sac, or the meninges is, but the spinal cord actually stays inside, uh, and they're less severely affected. However, the myelomeningocele is the most severe form and accounts for about 75% of all spina bifida cases. In this case, a portion of the spinal cord itself actually protrudes through the back. It's not just the meninges, it's the spinal cord and the meninges that goes out. And the extent of neurological disabilities really depends on where it's located on the back and how severe the spinal cord defect is. The defect is most often detected during maternal screening test and or fetal ultrasound. However, those babies who have extremely small lesions may not actually be diagnosed until after delivery. If this type of defect is detected, parents should seek out a pediatric neurosurgeon to understand the condition, prognosis, and options in treating their child while in the womb. Yes, there have been lots or there has been lots of progress in this area and there have been numerous successful surgeries while the baby was still in the womb where doctors have gone in and actually closed up the issue areas. Now, let's talk about the treatment options that are available for spina bifida. The best way to treat it is with prevention. Women of childbearing age can reduce their risk of having a child with spina bifida by taking 400 micrograms of folate every day before conception. And this is incredibly important because, as we mentioned earlier, most women don't even know they're pregnant before spina bifida can occur. So it happens within the first 28 days of pregnancy. So be sure that you get on a prenatal that has folate, not folic acid. We've discussed that in the past where in previous episodes where folic acid and the food that has been fortified with folic acid have led to some unwelcomed side effects. And I encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes on folate to find out more. But the point is, if you get that enough folate in your diet, about 400 400 micrograms per day of folate, the reduction of the chance of you having a child with spina bifida was reduced by about 70%. If, however, you find out during during a pregnancy checkup that your child has spina bifida, then fetal surgery, as we mentioned earlier, is still an option. It has shown lots and lots of promising, but often mixed results. Fetal surgery is still considered only at specialty centers with teams of experience within fetal surgery itself because of the higher risk of complications.
The third option is infant surgery, and this is probably the most common that we see, which means after birth, that baby or your baby born with spina bifida needs to have the exposed part of the spinal cord repaired to prevent further injury and infection. Surgery is now most often completed within the first 48 hours of the baby's life. After treatment, each patient should undergo baseline imaging and detailed neurological and muscular exams. This helps uh, doctors and the parents stay on top of any possible issues that can arise. Fortunately, with proper medical care, Many children with spina bifida can lead active and productive lives. 20-year follow-up studies have shown that they enter college in the same proportion as the general population, and many are actively employed. With ongoing advancements in medical care, the outlook for individuals with spina bifida continues to improve. And I hope that this episode was informative for you and helped you understand spina bifida just a little better. If you'd like to learn more about other health-related topics, you can go to centurionlabs.com or subscribe to the Frontline Health Podcast. That's all for today's episode of Frontline Health by centurionlabs.com. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, go out today and take ownership of your health because no one cares more about your health than you. Until next time, take care and stay healthy. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Frontline Health Podcast by Centurion, where our desire is to elevate your health and life. If you found benefit from this episode or know someone who could, please pass it along. We'd love to hear any feedback or questions you may have by emailing us at admin at centurionlabs.com. Until next time, remember, you are your best health advocate. So go take ownership of your health today.